Good morning. Happy Easter to you all. I'm pumped. I am excited because Easter is the most important day Christian celebration of all, of all. And so this is the day we remember and we celebrate that Jesus has risen from the dead. He is alive and well. So as I was preparing for the message this whole past week, I felt like the Lord kept putting in my mind different pictures and different images that he wanted me to show and use to highlight just different aspects of the Easter message and the, the meaning of Easter, right? So I'm going to start with the first picture, the first image, and it's of a game, right? It's of a child's game, and maybe you've played it. It's Jenga, Jenga. I felt like the Lord gave me this image of Jenga, and when you play this game, basically you start off with this tower of wooden blocks, and one by one you take turns pulling out different blocks. And if you pull out a block and the, the tower crumbles, then you lose, right? Then you lose, okay? This next picture is Jenga. This is what I call the Jesus Jenga. The Jesus Jenga. Now, the reason I call this picture the Jesus Jenga is because I equate Jesus with one of these blocks. Which block do you think I equate him with? This one. This is the Jesus Jenga block. I don't think you knew that. This is the Jesus Jenga block. The reason that it's the Jesus Jenga block is because everything else on top of it stands on that one block. If that block were to be pulled out, everything on top would crumble. Do you know the Bible says that without Jesus dying, and specifically without Jesus being risen from the dead, everything in Christianity, all the teaching, going to church, doing good things, everything, the relationship with God, everything in Christianity would be useless. Everything. You mean everything? Yes, everything in Christianity rests on Jesus, and specifically Jesus rising from the dead. Let's look at this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 15. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he says this, For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. See, they were in this church, there were people that were questioning whether resurrection is legitimate, whether that really happens. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, listen to this, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. In other words, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we might as well go home. We might as well not even come to church. We might as well not even pray. Because everything in the Christian faith from that point would be useless. Useless. Now why? You mean Jesus and the, his death and resurrection is that important to the Christian faith? Why is it so important? Because 
since time began, we have a major problem. Every one of us, every person who has ever lived has a major, major problem. It's an infection. It's a disease. It's the cause of every social, you know, this world, we've been through a lot of social issues, a lot of problems, a lot of things happening. You know that, all of that goes back to one thing. It's sin. The Bible says it's because of sin. You know, as a pastor, I've been a pastor over 30 years. And I've done many funerals in my life. I've met with many families as they're going through the funeral, the planning process. I've met with numerous people who are in the last days or weeks of their life, talk to them. And you know, there's one thing that I found. Regardless of how that person has lived their life, regardless of, you know, like, what the person has said they believe, regardless of anything else in their life, when you get to that point, almost every single person believes and hopes that they'll go to heaven. That they'll go to heaven. And loved ones, if you've lost a loved one, almost every single person that I've come across believes that their loved one is going to be and go to heaven. Now, even, even people, of course, I, I don't say this, but even people who they know was not a good person in their life, right? They did some, they did some really terrible bad stuff, and they treated people horribly. Even if that person has passed, they still have hope and think they're going to they're going to be in heaven. And basically, most people think this. If I just do more good than bad, then I think I'll make it. I think I'll be in. If I do 50.0001% better than good than bad, then I, I'll think I'll be OK. But is, is that true? Is, is that true? Is, is that the reality? Is that valid? You know, heaven is a paradise beyond imagination. I believe that. And the Bible's clear on that. It is beyond the greatest. It's not us flying around on clouds, playing harps 24-7. It's going to be better and greater than anything on earth that you can ever imagine. But I think people forget about one critical fact. In heaven, God is there. It's not just us having a good time together. God is there. God and his glory is there. And the Bible says God is holy. You know what that means? God is holy absolutely, completely, 100% perfect in all his ways. Without spot, without blemish, without 
any, any hint of sin, God is absolutely holy and perfect. So then, does this make sense? In our lives, we live our lives, we do our thing, and like I said, we have an issue with sin, and when we die, we just go roll on up to heaven and say, hey God, does that make any sense? I don't think so. Because God cannot be near or around sin. Now you might think, what's up with that? God's mean. God's unloving. God's just judging and condemning. And you know what? I think, no, it's just that God is holy and that's his nature. And this is, leads to the second picture. The Lord brought this to my mind this week. This picture of the sun. Do you know parts of the sun, this is our sun, parts of the sun are over 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot, right? <laughs> 27 million degrees. And did you know that even our sun, it's called a dwarf. It's like a 2G dwarf sun. There are stars in the galaxy or the universe that are 700 times bigger than our sun. Imagine how hot those suns are. Now, does anyone think you can roll on up to the sun and get close and say, hey, how you doing? What would happen? Burnt like a crisp in an instant. Now, when any of us say, that son is being mean. That son is being unloving. No, we would go, you were being foolish because the sun, by its nature, is scorching hot. So you better not get close to that sun or you'll be in trouble. God's holiness is like the sun on steroids. And, it's, and if you try to get close to God, if you think you're going to roll up to heaven and be all fine, God's holiness, his absolute perfection, burnt toast. And it's not because he's mean. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he's judgmental. It's because it's his nature. God's nature is a holy God. And think about, would you want it any other way? Because when I think of God, I want a perfect God that's good, absolutely good. That's what God is. That's who he is. And so, how do we deal with this? You know, Isaiah, in chapter, Isaiah, he's a prophet in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 6, 5, he says this, then I said, he, he had this vision, 
God took him into the, a vision of, of heaven, and God was there, and all these angels were flying around see, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and he had a sense of God's presence. And this is what he says. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, I am, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I have lived, and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the king, the Lord of the armies. And so, we need our sin, our imperfections, our blemishes, our boo-boos, our mistakes, the, the wrong things we've said, thought, done, we need those dealt with. We need those cleansed. We need those covered. So how do we do that? That leads us to the third picture God gave me. I believe that the Lord gave me, and it's this. Many people, many religions throughout history have said, I'm the right way. I'm the right way. If you follow our way, then you'll be able to go to heaven or meet God or whatever, whatever their afterlife is. And so there's a lot of doors throughout history, a lot of different doors today. How do you know which is the right door? You know, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, she says, and I think she believes, that, well, it doesn't matter what door you go through because they all lead to God. That's a very popular view and perspective. All doors lead to the same God. But you know what? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said something very different. He said something totally contradictory to that. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 7, 13 through 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate or only through one door. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. I found this picture. This is a picture of John chapter 10, verse 9. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus says about himself. Jesus says, I am the door. Those who come in through me will be saved. And then Jesus' own words, John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I, Jesus talking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father. He means Father God except through me. Of all those many doors you can choose from, Jesus says, all of them will not get you to God. None of them will get you to God. There's only one door, Jesus says. 
And that door, he says, is me. Only through me. And that's a bold statement that Jesus makes, right? His all those other ways are wrong. There's only one way, me. And if you go through me, you'll be saved. Why is Jesus the only door? Why is Jesus the only way? Aren't there at least one or two or several other ways to God? Why is it only Jesus? Leads to the fourth picture. Because the Bible says, Jesus, and Jesus' himself said, I am the Lamb of God. I am the Lamb of God. And being the Son of God, being God in the flesh, he is the only one whose sacrifice could pay for the sins of the entire world. And that's why Jesus is this. The lamb that was slain. The lamb that willingly shed his blood and went to the cross and died a horrible death. But beyond that, the lamb that was the sacrifice that took on all the sins of the world and was judged and condemned and killed by his father God. Jesus is the only one who could have done that. No one else in all of time, no other person, no other religious leader, no other, no one could have done what Jesus did. And he did that not only for the whole world. He did it for you. You were on his mind. I'm totally convinced. You were on his mind when he did that. When he did that. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, Paul talking to the Corinthian church again, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said. So the question is, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? Oprah? All the other religious leaders? Yourself? Or Jesus? Because Jesus says there's no in-between. There's no gray area on this. 
He was absolutely, totally clear on this. He is the only way. Because he's the only one whose death could have paid for all of our wrongs and all of our sins. Well, what credentials does everyone have? What proof and evidence do they have that they're right? What credibility do people have? And here we get to the final picture. The empty tomb. This empty tomb represents the place after Jesus died, was crucified. He was laid in a tomb for three days. The stone sealed the tomb, and he was dead. He was dead. You know, this tomb, as we read earlier, the Bible says, if Jesus did not come out of that tomb, we might as well pack our bags and go home. Because like the Jenga Jesus, everything in Christianity rests on whether he came out of that or not. And you know, if any of you this is legitimate. If any of you could disprove the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, I will give you $1,000. I haven't talked to my wife about it. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, it could be even be more, but I will give you $1,000 if you can disprove the fact that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Because there is a mountain, a boatload of evidence. If you ever just took some time and looked into it and researched it and examined it, there is a boatload, a mountain of evidence pointing to the fact that it's legit. That Jesus, that many people throughout history have tried to and were motivated, very powerfully motivated to try to disprove this. Because people as well, non-Christians, atheists, they know this is the lynchman. This is everything for Christianity. If I could disprove this, Christianity will crumble. There's been many, many people, and you know, some famous authors, you might want to look into their stuff. Josh McDowell, he wrote evidence that demands a verdict. He gives precise documents, accounts, logic, reasoning. He, he set out to disprove the resurrection and he ended up becoming a Christian. Lee Strobel, he wrote Case for Christ. He was a mean journalist in Chicago, that, you know, was, had a pre-law degree, and he set out to disprove the resurrection. 
and he ended up becoming a Christian. You know, there's so much evidence. Acts 1.3 says this, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, during the 40 days after Jesus died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, because of time, I'm just going to go quickly over some things, but I challenge you, it's everything, your future, your eternity depends on it. Isn't it worth it to take a little bit of time and investigate, examine, look into it? So I, because of time, I'm not going to go too much into it. I'm just going to share a, a few short things. First, Jesus was actually dead. There was a theory going around, and some people even think, well, maybe Jesus faked his death. Maybe he wasn't really dead. It's called the swoon theory. But there is zero dispute today amongst Credible scholars, Christian and non-Christian scholars. There is zero dispute that Jesus was actually dead. In fact, the Journal of uh, the American Medical Association, peer-reviewed, all of that, they, did a, they looked into it, they said, clearly the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. So that's off the table it's so clear that Jesus was actually dead. Second thing, the tomb was in fact empty. There's lots of evidence pointing to the fact that the tomb was empty. But I'll just give you one. The most compelling evidence that the tomb was actually empty on that Easter morning is the fact that the opponents of Christianity actually acknowledged that the tomb was empty, right? So there were the, the Romans, the Jewish religious leaders. They wanted Jesus dead, and they wanted Jesus to be in the tomb and stay dead because they knew the havoc it would cause if people believed that he rose from the dead like he said he was going to. And so when the tomb was empty that Easter morning, the opponents if he was still in there, all they had to say, say, all they would have had to say was, okay, let's go check. Right? We hear those stories today, right? Where there's a crime and they exhume the tomb and they bring up the coffin and they check, yep, he's still there. Yep, put him back in. If the tomb, the body was still there, all they would have had to do was say, let's go to the tomb, let's roll the stone, let's see. But they didn't. Because they knew, too, that the tomb was empty. And so they tried to throw out all these different theories of what happened to the body. But there's many, much evidence to the fact that the tomb was empty. Now, this is the whole thing, right? The body wasn't there. What happened to the body? Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? Well, it says Jesus appeared over 40 days to many people. And then in fact, it says he appeared, in one instance, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And so when Paul was writing this about the importance of the resurrection, 
he says, many of those people who saw Jesus actually alive, they're still living today. Just go ask them. Go ask them if they actually saw Jesus. They actually touched Jesus. They actually ate with Jesus. And they will verify that they saw him alive. And many of these people that swore that they saw Jesus alive suffered terrible persecution, were even martyrs for holding to their belief that Jesus rose from the dead. In other words, they died for their faith. They died with their claim, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. I am not going to recant. I'm not going to change my story. I'm even willing to die. One of the authors I mentioned, Lee Strobel, he said he talked to an executive. Executive contacted him one time to say, I'm struggling with my faith. I have some doubts. And so they got together and he said, you know how you said that these people, they, they died for their belief? He goes, what I'm struggling with is there's many people that die for their belief. That doesn't prove anything. You have these terrorists today that are dying. You have a World War II, the, the Japanese kamikaze pilots, they died. So that doesn't prove anything. What's the difference between them and the first early disciples that believe in Jesus? And Lee Strobel said, I'm glad you asked, because I wrestled with that. When I was investigating, that was one of the key things that I had to figure out. And he said this, the difference is those people died completely believing that what they were dying for was true, right? The terrorists, they believe their cause is true, that if they die, then they're going to have a glorious, um, you know, eternal life. The kamikaze pilot, they believe they're protecting the motherland or whatever. They, they fully believe that. They died for something they really believe was true. The disciples, they were close with Jesus. They walked, talked, ate with him before he was killed. They said they saw him alive. So... If he wasn't risen from the dead, they would have known it was a lie. That they're perpetuating this hoax, this fake news, this lie. They would have known it. And so would they have died? Would all these people have died for something they knew was a lie? That's the difference. I think many of them would have said, oh, you caught me. Okay, okay. I'm at the stake. You're going to burn me. I'm in the Colosseum. You have the, the lions coming after you. Okay, okay, time out, time out, time out. We made it up. But they didn't. They said, we are not taking back what we said because we saw him. And our hope and the hope of the world. And 
your hope is in the risen Jesus Christ. You know, one last thing. There's a, like I said, there's, a, there's much, much more evidence beyond this. But one last thing. There's our personal experience today. I have a relationship with Jesus. I felt, feel him. I can't see him. I haven't touched him. But I know he's real from my personal experience. It's not only my personal experience, but I have that. And the impact he's had at transforming my life and other people's lives. And so I want you to hear from someone. She shared her story with me, and it was so powerful. Um, Martha Donenfield, of how she walked with someone that was facing death. And um, she's going to share her story. So let's give a welcome to Martha. She comes up. Good morning. Um, sorry, but I have to take my shoes off. <laughs> um, kind of Japanese style. And plus two, I really feel like um, up here is sanctified. And so for me, this is like holy ground. Um, so Holy Spirit, I just, I just ask you to come to this place, fill it, and the fluttering in me, I hope it's you and not my nerves. Um, but thank you. Thank you for giving me this time and this journey that I went on. So, let's see. My story actually begins 68 years ago um, when God created me. And then five years later, when I was five years old, um, I was chosen. I was chosen to be a follower. And then 61 years after that, I've had a calling. And I know that, you know, there's callings throughout the whole of my life. and different purposes, to be a teacher, to be a wife, to be a mother. But this calling, this purpose, was totally different. And I struggled with the calling. Back last January when we started the cleansing seminar, I don't remember if it was Pastor Timothy or in the beginning of the handbook that says, if you go through this seminar, it's going to be life-transforming. And I thought, me, I'm retired 10 years. I don't need any more transformation. I like where I'm at. I'm comfortable. I don't need a change. And boy, that was a mistake to say. <laughs> because about through, oh, two months later, I heard my father's voice. And my father was an FAA employee. He was an expert witness for traffic accidents for federal employees. And um, people in Hawaii are not the best drivers. And uh, so he had a class called Defensive Driving for state and federal employees. And he, as we were growing up, he would impart to us these little tidbits of information. And one of them was, he would say, when you make a decision, you have to just go for it. Because if you hesitate or stop, you jam up all the people behind you. He was talking about making a left turn. And then about a week after that, I was walking on the beach, and this voice inside me said, Martha, I need you to quit Dragon Boat. And I went, what? 
If Todd's here, he'll understand. Dragon Boat, I've been with Dragon Boat for over six years. It was my community of breast cancer survivors. I needed them at that time, and I felt I still needed them, so why was he taking it away? And it was like, why? He didn't say, in time, you know, he just said time. And so I thought, well, you know, like, what are you talking about? I, it's only a couple hours a week, Wednesdays and Fridays, or Saturdays that we practice. Why would you need that time? Well, it was the thing where I heard his voice and my dad's voice at the same time, and I went, okay. I was actually making a left turn, and I started laughing, and I went, okay, I get it. I need to make that decision to just quit. Quit Dragon Boat, and I'll see what happens. A few weeks later, my daughter's friend came down from Oakland. Her name was Jackie. And Katie had shared with Jackie what I'd been doing with this lady named Takako Kimura Baker. We call her TK. TK was part of that Dragon Boat community. And Jackie said to me, Martha, she says, do you know what you are? Do you know what you've been called into? And I went, no. She said, you've been called to become a deaf doula. Wow, that sounds so ominous. But actually, as time went on, I found out it was actually the most beautiful thing that I could have been called into. It was an amazing journey that I went on with TK. We have here a lady who was so active in life. She climbed mountains around the world. She dragon boated around the world internationally. She even did it on a Mon frozen Mongolian lake. Can you imagine dragon boating on a lake? Frozen? She had the best of times. Her life was so active until ALS caught up with her. And that's where I come in. And I didn't know at the time that this was all a calling. But I would go over to the house, because of the pandemic, I would go over to the house on Sundays and I would massage her feet because I did reflexology to ease her pain, to ease her stress, to just kind of make things a little bit better for her in just a little way that I could. And so I did that, and about two months after being into it, she says, Martha, she says, you're the only one on the team that I can now ask this question. She says, am I going to heaven? And I went, oh, TK, I have three questions. Do you believe in God? She said, yes. I said, do you believe that God, that Jesus is the son of God? And she said, yeah. I said, then do you believe that he died on the cross for you and your sins have been washed clean? And she said, yes. She goes, I have not done I have not had a perfect life, I've sinned. And I said, yeah, but he died on the cross. You need to believe that, that he washed all those sins away. And after about a month, I think she told her husband, Mike, he's back there, that, okay, she understands and she realizes, yes, that she is dying and she's accepted that fact. Life wasn't easy. Every Sunday I'd go over and every Sunday, I could see her body just going a little by little each time.
But TK, being TK, never let that change her perspective on life. She was always happy. She was always smiling. She imparted that joy into her and into others that came. You could come to that house worried about what you were going to see, but you went back out that door, better person, happier than when you walked in because of her. And I know that the life was hard because I was there. I saw Mike struggle. It was just everything that just came upon us, and it was like, so where, Pastor, do I put this into this day of resurrection? How do I do this? And it just so happened that we changed the same, we chose the same chapter in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15. I read it in King James because that's what I'm familiar with. And then I reread that whole chapter in the new King James Version. And then I read it in the Passion Translation. And the Passion Translation called that chapter the Resurrection Chapter. Everything from the beginning to the end talked about Christ and his life and the choices he made. Can you imagine if he chose not to be crucified and he just got himself off the cross? If he did that, then there would be no hope. I couldn't give to TK that hope of what comes later. And that was my job as a death doula to TK, was that I would take this end of her journey and make it beautiful and peaceful. My job was to listen to her, to her fears, to her regrets. We wrote letters to people and I mailed them off. She had personal items that she wanted to give to people and so we sorted through it and we distributed it to the people that she cared about. That was what I did because then Mike wouldn't have to worry about that. If I could take that burden from him, then that was good. I could sit down with him and listen to him, listen to all the things he had to say, good and the bad, and I had to do it with no judgment because that wasn't my place to judge. My place was to listen. My place was to say a prayer for them. As I was massaging TK and then towards the end where she was in bed, I would sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I sang that to her. I sang Hawaii Pono'i. I sang a Japanese lullaby. I sang Kumbaya. Anything to rest to give her peace, because that was my job. That's where I've been for almost two years. My church was with TK, because when two or more gathered, that's where he'll be. So that's where my heart was, connecting with TK, connecting with Mike, connecting with God. That calling to be a death doula seemed to be hard, In any calling that you have and you respond to, God's going to make a miracle because it's already a miracle that you said yes. But 
Mike, I want to share this miracle because this miracle is for you and TK. TK's wedding ring was Mike's mother's ring. And towards the end, with edema, swelling setting in, the ring was stuck on her finger. And I know earlier in that day, Mike and a friend um, tried everything. I believe they tried oil and whatever else was told to try, soap, whatever. The ring wouldn't come off. And that day, that morning, I had a doctor's appointment. And I thought, no, I'm, I'm not going to go in. But after the doctor's appointment and I had lunch, I thought this pull of going there became so strong. So I said, okay, I'm going to go. And Steve, my husband, graciously, towards the end, allowed me to go more often through the weeks. Um, instead of just one day, it was two and then three and then four days to visit with TK and spend time with her. So thank you for not grumbling. So I walk in, and I'm hearing Mike grumbling to another visitor about how he couldn't get the ring off. And we both said, Windex. And he went, Windex? And I said, yeah, Windex. So he hunt for a while for Windex. We went into the room. He and his friend were on one side, and I was on the other side of the bed. And they sprayed her finger with Windex. They twisted around. He tried to remove it. No luck. She tried to remove it. No luck. <sighs> so he walked out the door with a friend. And he said, well, I'll just let the coroner take care of it. And I went, oh, no. My mind just went to all kinds of ways as how they would take care of it. So I went to the other side where her hand was, and I picked it up, and I said, God, you have to let TK release the ring, because Mike cannot take one more thing on his shoulders. He's had enough. Amen. I grabbed her hand, and I grabbed the ring, and darn, it slipped right off. I didn't have to do anything to it. So it was like, oh my goodness, it worked. Prayer works. So I went and washed my hands. And as I was going out the door, I said, Mike, give me a hand. And he lifted his hand up. And I put the ring in. And he goes, how'd you do it? And I said, I just prayed over it. Something so simple. And yet it was a miracle, a small miracle. But can you imagine what a great miracle would be like? That's what the resurrection was, the greatest miracle in the world. And I want to close with this. This is a story that um, would not believe, would be believed by anyone unless there were two to witness it. So anyway, on... Uh, on the day that TK passed, I was in the room with a young lady named Kathy. And we were on each side of the bed. And as, as a death doula, some of the instructions that I've learned was that when you go in and this is the end of life, you don't touch, you don't rub, you don't rub a person because it stimulates them and it kind of wakes them up and then they don't want to die. They just want to keep hanging on. And so we were just talking quietly. And all of a sudden, now you have to realize, TK had been in a coma. And she had been unable to use her limbs because of ALS. She had no muscles. She lost the use of her voice many months before. 
she had been in a coma for at least four days. And Kathy and I were talking quietly to each other and all of a sudden we look at her and TK opens her eyes. She lifts her left hand up, points to the ceiling and says, wow. Kathy, I, yeah, speechless. Kathy and I looked at each other and we said, did you hear her? And we went, yeah. She said, wow. Her mouth shut, her hands went down, her eyes closed. What was she seeing? She was seeing the promise that was given to her that she would go to heaven. Mike and I believe that at that moment, her spirit left her and went to be with the Lord. A handful of hours later, her body shut down completely and she passed. But that's the promise that this whole evidence of the resurrection is, that there is hope. And like the pastor said, without that, without his death and resurrection, there would be no hope for us. So my hope for you is that you really cling on to those three questions. And can, if you can say yes to everything, then you have that hope. There is no fear of death. Just that peaceful, beautiful entrance into his life because you know that dying on the cross covered you in blood so that you could face him in his glory and not be burned crisp, <laughs> but just go to him in wholeness and in happiness and in joy, because I know someday I will be with TK up there. I'm going to have the worship team come up now. And I'm just going to close the message by saying, what store are you going to choose? What store are you going to choose? You know, Jesus says something very interesting several times. He says, no one could come to, the, to me unless the Father, God, calls them. So, you know, you've heard a lot of things today. You've heard a lot of, you know, different, you've seen a lot of pictures. You've heard from Martha. You've heard from me. But at this moment, the most important voice is, do you hear the voice of God in the Spirit calling you to him because ultimately it's a step of faith there's a lot of evidence there's a lot of testimony there's a lot of, there's personal stories but ultimately it's a step of faith and it's responding to the voice of God and I believe the Lord God is speaking to some of you today You can't hear it with your human intellect, your, human, your physical ears. It's in your spirit. 
that he's speaking to you to say, come home. Come home. I want you to be in my family. And you just have to respond. It's just a step of faith to respond. And so I'm just going to say a prayer. Um, and if you sense, yeah, I need to take that door of Jesus. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And I want to have the hope and the life that he promises. So I'm just going to say a prayer. And if that resonates with you, you sense the voice of God calling you, then you could just repeat it in your heart with me as I pray. And you're in repeating, you're just telling the Father, yes, God, I respond. I come to you. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending your one and only son, Jesus, to come and die for all my sins, all my wrongs. Thank you, Jesus, for not only dying on the cross for me, but rising from the dead to prove that everything you've said, everything you represented, the promises in you are true. And I put my faith in you now. I put my trust in you. Thank you for washing away and covering all my sins and giving me not only eternal life, but a personal relationship my God and Father in heaven today. I come give my life to you. I commit to following you. Come and fill me with all your goodness and your Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you for all you've done for me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you said that prayer, for the first time, I just encourage you, come talk to me, come talk to one of the staff, come talk, can I share with someone that invited you? Because you, they'll want to affirm and confirm, like Martha did with TK. Yes, you're a believer, you're a Christian, and your life is secure with God. Right now, we're just going to worship and um, just close the time with some a few songs of worship just to thank the Lord. If you're a believer, it's time just to celebrate and thank the Lord for all he's done for us on Easter. Let's worship the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. Hope you will join us in person sometime. It'll be great to see you and meet you. Don't forget to subscribe to our Catalyst YouTube channel so you don't miss out on anything. And be blessed this week. And as always, thank you, Jesus.